This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. The Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, yep. do you know how to make an octopus laugh? I don't. You gotta give him ten tickles. Because <laughs> the ten tentacles yeah. and ten tickles. Yeah, I don't actually giving octopus an octopus tentacles uh doesn't actually help it because it's already got a bunch, but Right. Well, it's still it's still funny. No, it's not. But you've identified why it's not funny, which I feel like is the first step. Which is that it's not doesn't it's work the both first ways. Step. It only works one and, way. Yes, for the joke to be good, it has to work two ways. But I would argue that for the joke to be good, it has to not fundamentally be a pun. <laughs> so that's just <laughs> I, a world, I definitely that's agree. A with, it's just a difference in worldview. Yeah. Well, we're doing it. Everybody's themselves, as Catherine says. I've been thinking about octopodes, octopi, octopuses, because you and I were just talking, Hank, about how humanity is the only known species so far in the history of Earth to be like, you know what? Maybe we should stop going for more, right? Like every species is <laughs> not constantly... as like a unit, just for clarity. No, like, no, no. Not, but 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 definitely individuals. Yeah, and and like that, we are concerned about the implications of us going for more, which, at least from what we have observed, is not something that can be said about deer or raccoons or cyanobacteria. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, it definitely seems like uh, there's a pretty big pressure toward like evolution. Uh, you know, the the genes that get passed on are the ones that uh, that get passed on. So if you don't have a drive to do that. Then you don't. Uh, then, then your your traits don't get passed on. That's how it yeah. works. Yeah, and there's some fundamental desire that I don't think we all the time understand or think about to not just uh, make more of ourselves, but to make 
to uh, create out of the materials of the universe something which did not exist before, as, as William Faulkner put it. But then we started talking about how actually it's possible that we aren't the only species to have ever been like, hold up, this may have gotten a little bit out of control. And that maybe like there was a group of cephalopods who had a whole octopus right. civilization. Well, just, and I think like this, like this, this fascinates me because if it's like on the bottom of the ocean, we wouldn't know. And if it was long enough ago, we wouldn't know. How would we know? Especially if a lot of their monumental monument making, yeah, assuming that they were even into monumental monument making, a lot yeah. of that could have been things that were intentionally made to be temporary. It could have been that that was part of their worldview. Or maybe they're like built out of shells. And so we just like find a bunch of shells and we're like, yeah, a bunch of shells. Right, right. And we come up with some explanation for why like the tides did it. But no, it was the it was the octopus civilization. It seems like to me that that's the only plausible one. Like I think if Right. Dinosaurs had had um, like government and democracy and stuff. We <laughs> yeah. would have found some of their voting stations. But I feel like right. octopuses maybe got away with having a civilization. And then I can totally like having seen a few octopuses in my life, I can totally imagine a situation where like they would get together and they would be like, you know what? Things have gotten pretty crazy here. It's a little out of hand. Wars and the specialization of labor. Whatever octopus Twitter was, (laughs) they were like, "This is a bad idea." We made this octopus Twitter where we just yell at each other, and then we let the most powerful octopus in the world become the sole owner of octopus Twitter. And like, maybe we just maybe this whole thing with radical structural inequality is the wrong path forward, and we need to just chill out and be octopuses again. And it does like it does seem like that like that makes sense because they see. Seems smarter than they need to be. Oh, like an yeah. octopus just seems smarter than it needs to be. So it's like it's like they decided one day, how about instead we all live for two years, we're pretty happy the whole time, yeah. we play a bit, we chill yeah. out, and mostly we just sort of zone. Right. Like how about like the way that humans feel when they're playing like level seven on Tetris is the yeah. way that we should feel all the time. <laughs> all the time. That's like <laughs> What if instead of inventing Tetris, we just had that vibe overall? And then one octopus was like, but I like the fact that we can keep the sharks out of the town. And they're like, Steve, right. You're going to have to go. (laughs) We outvoted you. Your food now. Give me 10 tickles. That was that was like, <laughs> it was like the ceremony that uh, was immediately preceded the uh, renegade octopuses being thrown outside the city walls to be eaten immediately by sharks. Was yeah. St- Steve the renegade octopus would have to stand at the gates and then um, ten uh, friends and ten enemies would each give him a tickle. <laughs> <laughs> and then they would open up the gate and like and, shoot him yeah. out into the shoot him out into the regular ocean where the sharks await. Yeah. Cuz you know like they had that. their own that's the thing like they had their own immorality, they had their own structural horrors. You know. Oh, of course. They had their own ways of 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 like kicking you people out of the community for being overly radical. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so it by just by virtue of having morality, they also had evil, unjust structures. And eventually they were like, hey, instead of reforming these structures and trying to make them better, which, by the way, I think is the right call for humans, just to be clear. Uh Maybe the octopuses were like, God, let's just, you know what, let's 
let's just be octopuses again. Yeah, they figured out a switch to flip in their brains where they're just like feeling okay. And that's possible. That's the way. That yeah. like once a year without our knowing it, the, the, the switch flips and they all meet somewhere in the ocean and they <laughs> they vote about whether to continue to be octopuses or whether to have a civilization again. Uh, I think it's better that way. Civilization's the wrong word, but you know what I mean. It's better that way. Like there's no there's no doubt in my mind that all of this is made up. So it might as well. That might be that should be the thing um, for sure, because I think that's a really good movie. Right. Well, do they even have to get together or do they have some kind of like uh, they just like sink their tentacles into the soil and they can communicate through? Yeah, they do it telepathically bacteria or something. Right. Yeah. They do it. Right. They do it through like fungal networks, like how trees talk. <laughs> yeah. And so they're they're like, ah, oh, it's May 14th. Time to time for mm-hmm. the big vote. Uh, I vote to continue being an octopus and not living in a, in a city. And then, but like the, every year, like it's getting more 50, 50 because they're looking at us yes. and they're like, we, yes. we're gonna have to do something about these people. Right. Exactly. They're like, like swimming down and looking at us. They're starting to be a problem. They made a Netflix documentary about it. <laughs> now, now a bunch they're, more are doing it. Cause they like this Netflix documentary. Yeah. The octopuses are like, they're finding out our big secret. And so maybe we need to move to cities again and then there will be the great rivalry between the humans and the octopuses and humans will finally finally be united that's right because there will be a common enemy yeah yeah come they're fairly big and quite strong so we'll see how we do they i mean they could they could take us they could take us they've been around a lot longer than we have i mean they're a hundred percent muscle like they just are they don't even have bones it's all muscle I think it'd be kind of great if we agreed that the oceans were going to be for them and the land and the fresh water was going to be for us. And yeah. we were like, starting now, we can only eat things from the land and the fresh water because our octopus overlords have taken control of the oceans. I mean, I know too much about how where calories come from to think that would be an easy transition, but I think we could do it eventually. Good party. Let's answer some questions from our <laughs> listeners. John, this first question is from Anne, who asks, Dear Hank and John, why is it harder to wake up on days that are cold, rainy, or dark? It's like my body can sense that the weather is gray and says, no thanks, before I'm even conscious and fights to stay asleep. Why is that? Can I blame science? Greens and Gables, Anne. Anne, we're mammals. Yeah, we are. It's so hard to remember this on a minute-by-minute basis. I know. But we are mammals. It's so weird. We are so much we are so much more like kangaroos than we are like computers. We are mammals. So we do mammal stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we put we put recently killed plant and animal matter into our mouth holes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we use, That's we how use we like go the, on. We use the slow fire of burning it inside of us to listen to yes. podcasts. Yes. And so when we wake up and it's cold or rainy or dark. It's like when a fox wakes up and it's cold or rainy or dark. There's a part of the fox that's like, I'd rather not. <laughs> well, and it's probably might be better to just rather not if it's if there's no other drive. Like if you're not currently having a biological need to definitely it's cold and rainy and dark. Stay in. That's going to be right. It's going to be expensive metabolically to deal with that. Exactly. So it's a value calculation that your mammal body is making that uh, mammal wise, it's going to be more work than it usually would be to deal with this cold and rain and dark. Mm -hmm. And later, it may not be cold or rainy or dark. 
And so you yeah. may be able to get the same good stuff, the same recently deceased plant and animal matter into your mouth hole without having to do the extra work of being cold and wet. That's right. Um, so the, and there's also like the, it, it is like biochemical um, when, when it comes to light detection specifically. So like if it's warm in your house, you probably don't know it's well, I do. I mean, I, I know it's cold outside when it's cold outside. I can feel it coming through the walls. It's cold in Montana. Uh, but we also like have very sophisticated light detection systems that like you don't necessarily even need your eyes to be open for, but also you you probably have your eyes open a little bit before you technically wake all the way up, um, and so you're getting that you're getting that feedback. So during the the dark months that we certainly have at these latitudes where I am, your body knows your body knows when the sun is coming up, and uh, there's there's a thing called the suprachiasmatic nuclei. It's in the hypothalamus. Mm-hmm. I've and got it a responds bunch of those. to light yeah. that goes through the retina, and it uses that to figure out what your body should be doing sleep wise. So like it's a real it's a part of your brain that's connected to your eye receptors. Yeah, wild. That is pretty wild. And it's called the suprachiasmatic nuclei, which that's a great name. <laughs> I, usually, yeah, biologists are so notoriously bad at naming things, but that is a really yeah. high quality name. It's hard to forget. Do octopuses have one of those, Hank? I imagine they don't because they 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 aren't as light sensitive as we are. Their brains, well, also their brains are very different. So they they uh, well, this is one of the coolest things about octopuses is they have very complicated brains that that evolved entirely separately from ours. Like the nearest common ancestor of a cephalopod and a mammal was very deep and did not have a big brain. So their brains are super different. So I would be very surprised if they had any analogous Mm. structure. Cool. Well, this next question comes from Sophie who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm a preschool teacher. And recently one of my students asked, why if I jump, I come back down. But if I hold my arm up, it stays up. (laughs) I tried to explain gravity to a three-year-old, but thought it was a pretty profound question that you could answer gravity and existential dread, Sophie. It's interesting that like, Putting my arm up, it doesn't feel like it's going to come down on its own. So that like, so there's the question of why I go, I fall, I come back down, which is very complicated and weird and has to do with the curvature of space time. But then there's the, the the question of like why my body doesn't really have to work to keep my arm up, even though it definitely is working, but I do not notice that work. Wait, I if do you not hold your arm directly Straight out up. from your shoulder. Oh, like, out to my shoulder, it wants to fall like crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heck, oh, heck you're yeah. saying like if you make the straight up the like field, saying, field goal was good. Yeah. Or, or I'm like, like Mrs. Johnson. Raising your yeah. hand to ask a question. Now, what I would have this three-year-old do is I would say, well, let's see about that three-year-old. Put that hand up and call me in an hour. I, I I raked about eight thousand pounds of leaves yesterday, so I'm already feeling it. Yeah, I it will eventually start to want to return to e- equilibrium, mm-hmm. but even yeah. then, there's but the, you're just sort of, sort of like keeping it balanced up there more than holding it up there. It's like like a broom on your fingertip, you know? Yeah, it's just balanced. Yeah, I but I, I I don't think that we need to think about it primarily as gravity if we're trying to explain it to three-year-olds. Like, I don't think we need to talk about the curvature of space-time. But but it, yeah. it is a weird idea, right? Because then why is it relatively little work to stand up or to sit down rather than lying down? Like, it doesn't feel like effort to be seated for most people most of the time. But Especially it is, preschoolers who are tiny and yeah. 
have don't have a lot of body to move around. And they have a massive amount of energy relative to their mass, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like Sonic the Hedgehog is based on a three-year-old. And oh, yeah. I think that the answer is muscles. So I wouldn't talk about gravity or space-time. I would talk about muscles mm-hmm. and how muscles do work and yeah you are you are holding that up but when you jump there is nothing to hold you up exactly yeah you are holding your arm up you are holding yourself up when you stand but when you jump there's nothing touching the ground to hold you up does that work for a three-year-old i think so yeah i think so i haven't had a three-year-old in so long Jeez. i know yeah i mean it's been it's been it's been a while even for me Oh, this next question comes from Jay, John. I loved this one, and it was hard to get to the bottom of. Dear Hank and John, do magnets ever stop magneting? Mm. Pumpkins and penguins, Jay. So mm. uh, I'm not sure, but here's something that I did not realize that I figured out while researching this question, is that all natural magnets, so most magnets we, you'll deal with are, are created intentionally by people. Right. So like neodymium magnets or like the magnet you stick out like with the like the black background that's just like a film. That's a that's a artificially induced magnet created by humans doing human stuff. But there are natural magnets. Uh you know this because like there before we could do that there were like compasses that used lodestones um that were magnetite, a, a mineral that is magnetic. And uh and that was recognized fairly early on because it's super weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh and and very magical. Right. Like that must have felt very much like magic. To be fair, not to quote the insane clown posse, but magnets still feel a little magical to me. <laughs> they do. Yeah. They, yeah, yeah. I, I have not really gotten there. I think I know people who are uh, in it enough that they're like, oh, yeah, no, that's just a normal phenomenon. I'm like, <laughs> I can't push these two things together. <laughs> exactly. They fight. It's, right. it's, it's invisible. That's it, weird that weird. there is an invisible power that's keeping these things apart. Yeah. So, uh, but, so this natural, like in order for a natural magnet to form, I was, I was like, does that happen naturally? Like, would it just like, do these atoms line up in a way that the spins of their electrons, blah, 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 or whatever. Um, and no, uh, it, it happens because they form in our magnetic field of the earth. So the earth was the magnet that induced the magnetism in the lodestone, in, in the iron, so that it has a magnetic field. It carries basically the Earth's magnetic field, kind of like the the field induced the the uh, dipole. It induced it to have a direction to its magnetic field, and so if it was on a planet that didn't have a magnetic field, there would be no natural magnets. Whoa! And that uh, so like that says to me that maybe like just the random jostlings and energy of not being an absolute zero might eventually mean once it's taken out of the presence of the Earth's magnetic field that uh, probably over the very long scheme of billions of years of, or hundreds of billions of years of the future of the universe, probably a natural magnet or any magnet would lose its magnetism. But I'm not sure. I couldn't wow. figure it out. Um, but we're talking about very large timescales. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's not something that would happen un- unless you intentionally did it, which you can do in a number of ways. Could you get rid of the Earth's magnetic field on purpose? No, not yet. Uh, we do not. We can't. We cannot do that. Uh, and I think we are a long way away from having the power to do that. Great. 
Let's never learn how to do that. You can potentially create a, a kind of artificial magnetic field for another planet. It, it would be like an external device that would sit between the sun and the planet, and that would mm. uh, sort of block uh, the solar radiation. Mm. But that's definitely within like sort of imaginable human technology, whereas stopping the Earth's core from doing stuff is not it within human imaginable human technology. It'd be easier to blow the planet up, it feels like. Well, speaking of all that, I have a related question, sciencey, from John, who writes to your John and Hank. Do I weigh less on a mountain? My engineering friends and I have been arguing about this for 30 minutes. Help, moguls and mountains, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You do, yeah, right? You, you have to. Yeah, yeah. And the higher the mountain, the less you weigh, right? Yeah. And then if you, had a, right. if you had a mountain, like if you had a theoretical mountain that went all the way into outer space, I think actually you'd have a big problem now that I think about it. <laughs> You'd have I mean, a the gra- you'd gravity have a would not be the failure. issue. Uh, <laughs> the, the the issue would be air, right? But uh, also, gravity's... like if you had if you had a piece of the planet that pierced the atmosphere, wouldn't that be a problem? Um, no. Wait, whoa, whoa! You could have a planet where almost all the planet is has an atmosphere, but then if you mm-hmm. climb up a really, really, really tall mountain, you are in space. Yeah, are you sure? That sounds wrong. Because <laughs> doesn't the atmosphere definitionally sphere the atmos? It, uh, it's, it's. I don't know what the atmos is, uh, but you it know. definitely spheres the center of the Earth. So it spheres the center of the body. Whoa! It does not like head up on over whatever there is. Whoa, whoa, whoa! That's why it. That's why the air pressure is much less at the top of Mount Everest than at sea level. You're telling me because it's higher up in the atmo. You're telling me that the atmosphere is not actually an atmosphere for Earth's surface. It's an atmosphere for Earth's core. Yeah, I guess. Whoa! It's at a, yeah. Seriously. Well, it's like it's it, well, it's subject to the, it's for the exact same reason as you weigh less at the top of the mountain. You are being it, it. The atmosphere falls like any like water would falls into a pool at the lowest point it can. You're telling me that I could build a, a, a spire, uh-huh. a tower of Babel, if you will. Yeah, just that goes all the way to the moon. <laughs> well, OK, sure. Just as a hypothetical. Uh-huh. To the moon's orbit. Let's and, say to the moon's orbit, because we we create a problem with the moon moving around otherwise. Right. If it, if it went to the moon, then it would sort of like rotate around Earth and it, it would, would have like to move. scourge yeah, the yeah, land yeah. as it moved. <laughs> yeah, that would be an issue. But you're telling me that I could build from the surface of Earth a tower that went to the moon's orbit, and this would not in any way affect the atmosphere. It would not really pierce the atmosphere because the atmosphere isn't pierceable as such. Right. Yeah. It would. I mean, it would affect the atmosphere, and then it would create like winds would current around it. Like when winds blow blow across it, it would create currents, like any like a mountain does. You know, it like. The, right, but, but it wouldn't. It wouldn't like have any kind of catastrophic no. impact on the existence of the it's atmosphere. Not like, like poke a hole in the bubble of. Man, I mean, the movie Spaceballs fundamentally <laughs> lied to me in in a way that I didn't know until just now. Yeah, well, like I so assumed that it was correct. I thought that it was a documentary, <laughs> Hank. Oh God. I'm really been... astonished to know that you can pierce the atmosphere and nothing bad happens. Like you could grow a mountain and I intend to now. Yeah. Well there's like there's a there's a a you know a theoretical idea for efficient space travel called the space elevator. 
that is that. It's just a big, wow, big tower basically that goes up to an, a body that orbits the Earth and connects the planet to that, and then you sort of like get out of the gravity well that way. Wow, and uh, just by climbing the tether. Wow. And it's a real idea that people think maybe someday would happen. I don't think it would because if it broke and fell, and as you may have heard, what goes up does come down, on the way down, it would do so much damage. Like maybe, like, it's just like building a doomsday device. It's a, it's, it's very fun in theory, but thinking about what would go wrong if it did go wrong, uh, I don't like. Well, Hank, you love to spoil parties with your big what if it went wrong ideas and i'll tell you what hank nobody ever became uh-huh. a centibillionaire by imagining what the negative yeah. implications of their technology proposals were okay <laughs> nobody ever became a capitalist god king by worrying about the potential pitfalls good point john i'm going to stop I'm going to stop yeah. worrying. How I learned to stop worrying and love the how, space how elevator. How I learned to stop worrying. Yeah. <laughs> this question comes from Zoe, who asks, Dear Hank and John, what's the difference between an ology and an onomy? Astrology and astronomy are two very different things with astro, but they uh, are changed by their suffix. My hypothesis is that an ology was artsy and onomy was sciency. But what about like all of the other ologies? And then there's also graphy and metry. Uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, this has been tearing me up for weeks. Please help sincerely. Uh, and Zoe meet again. Oh, that's good. Okay, sure. All right. Yeah, I got. I was on. I wasn't on board until I said it out loud. Graphy is pretty easy. It's it's a writingy. So a biography mm-hmm. is a writingy bi- bi- bio, and an autobiography. Yeah, and I guess is ge- a- geography. Yep. Geograph is like got to write down the earth. Yep. Got to draw it's, it. It's it's draw writing the earth, the earth and. Uh-huh. Autobiography is writing the autobio. Mm-hmm. I don't know about onomy and ology. Do you know? Yeah. Um, apparently, uh, the metry actually is to measure. Oh, so, so geometry is measuring the geos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so astronomy, it's interesting because astrology and astronomy literally are the opposite of what they should be. So astrology is the study of astro, stars, um, and astronomy is the naming of astro stars. Oh. And astrology is the um, naming of stars. Yep. And astronomy is... The studying of stars. The, the studying of stars, which is backwards. Right. It's precisely the opposite of what it should be, but language is bad and messy. Yeah, but that's good to know that there is a different word for the study of something than for the naming of something. So actually, I would be very interested in... So if you took the word biography and then you made it about the naming of the bio, what would that be? That would be bionomy, right? Yeah. I, would really... I looked it up and it, it's actually like it's this says that it is, in fact, uh, the management or measurement of the said field of study. Oh, OK. So I was wrong. Oh. I always thought it was naming. I like naming yeah. a lot better. Me too. But it I was going to say, I don't actually want to write a biography of a disease or of a person, the stuff that I'm writing right now. I want to write a biology of 
the person or the subject. <laughs> and then I realized that biology is actually an already, it's already taken. It's already been occupied. Very much so. That space. Yeah, that's interesting that there's like that that a biography and a biology are really different. Yeah, but actually <laughs> what I am interested in is not telling, writing down the story of something, but like finding ways to name things that haven't been named effectively, at least in my opinion. Like that's really for me what all writing is, is trying to uh, name or give form or structure to stuff that doesn't easily lend itself to form and structure. And mm -hmm. that would be great if there were some word that I could use for my understanding of what I'm trying to do with writing. But biology is taken, so I give up. <laughs> what about autobiology? Do you think I could make autobiology the art of, <laughs> art of writing memoir? Autobiology is just medicine. Uh, it's, it's like human anatomy. Yeah. How pretentious would it be if I wrote an uh -huh. autobiography and titled it something colon an autobiology? So Ooh, pretentious. Very bad. So, very pretentious. So pretentious. It's so John, can cringe. I tell you something? It's so cringe. The other day, I, I almost tweeted and then I didn't because that's the right way to do it, that I was hoping somebody could coin a term that would be grand schemism because of this thing that you said in a video a while ago that um, that we that like uh, in the grand scheme of things, blah, blah, blah. But we do not live in the grand scheme of things and grand schemism being the sort of tendency of the powerful to think more about what will be and the sort of imagined future that they that that may or may not happen and less about the current problems that are not being interfaced with. Right. And that would be grand schemism, which I love. That. I don't. I, I I don't know why you didn't tweet that. I think that's lovely. I think that so well, much I, of did I? Yeah. So I mean, I I do know why you didn't tweet it, and I, I think that every tweet you don't tweet is a good decision. Period. Hard stop. <laughs> no other thoughts about that. But I do think that the and I I understand the fascination with grand schemism, and I understand the importance of it, even of trying to think about the grand scheme of things. But when grand schemism consumes the reality of present tense injustice and suffering, I'm not as co convinced by it. Yeah. Like there's a there's a there's a sort of grand schemism that holds that the main work we should be doing is toward alleviating future suffering and I understand the argument and I think it's an interesting yeah. argument. I just also think that when we encounter suffering in the present and we do, we should respond. Yeah, I have a couple I have a couple of feelings about this. One is that it may be that the 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 best way to alleviate future suffering is to interface with present suffering. I think that is very and often like that, the case. That that's that seems kind of given and and like it's pre it might be a little unusual for for there to be situations where the opposite is the case right um, right there are situations um, where the opposite it, is the it, case it, for sure yeah but um yeah. but i think that it's easy to sort of like pretend like you found one and uh and so don't bother me uh with with all of this yeah. complexity of dealing with things and i but i also think that like it's really important for the stability of the world like I th like in general for us to be interfacing with current suffering. Like if we just sort of say like, don't worry, your, your grandchildren will be fine. That th that's not good. 
that's not going right, to help right. actually solve the problem and get people on board to solve the problem. Right. Don't worry. We're doing everything we can to make the world better for your grandchildren is... Yeah. W- when someone's 20, you know? <laughs> right. And maybe I think there are times and places where that can be a compelling argument. But yeah. I think for me, it makes sense to look at where the incentives align just on a practical human level. Where does addressing present tense suffering also lead to generational improvements? And mm-hmm. I think there are plenty of those places for me. So I don't yeah. I don't want grand schemism to like I, I I think it adds something important to the conversation that we need to pay attention to and listen to. I also think yeah, that that's why I because like when I when I wrote it, it just seemed like it was snarking off oh, okay. and like, like it wasn't as if grand schemism was something to be that. entirely discounted. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I think that the big risk with it's so hard not to have things sound like that on Twitter. That's true. As, especially also when you're boiling them down to a term. You yes. know, it, it's almost like it, it would only ever catch on if it was a way to deride others. Right. Like the term manic yeah. pixie dream girl or. You know, all those like ways of uh, ways of simplifying complexity are always kind of exciting to us because we're like, finally, here is a framework through Mm -hmm. which I can understand everything. And also um, dislike the people I dislike. Right. Yes. And have my have my previous biases (laughs) confirmed. Yeah. Yeah, Can you can you please present me with a way for me to dislike the people I dislike? I will totally retweet that. (laughs) And is there any way that along the way I can feel less like I have personal changes that I need to make in my own life to make the world suck less? Yeah, yeah, totally. <sighs> Which I, I I am more guilty of than almost anyone. I, I love yeah. somebody explaining away my evil. Uh-huh. <laughs> Please, please make it okay for me to make the decisions I want to make, please. Right. Um, it's a it's a lot of it, and like that's what we, it is. What we want, um, and so I, you know, I, I at least know that a lot of the decisions I make are the ones I shouldn't be making. So at least there's that. Right. One step at a time, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This next question comes from M, who asks, "Dear Hank and John." <laughs> Where should I get my next tattoo? Oh, finally. Now that Hank's joined the tattoo club, I'd love I'd love your uh, your advice. This will be my fourth tattoo. I have one on the left side of my stomach, one on my right lower calf, one on my right inner arm. Where should my fourth one be? If it helps, it's of a mushroom and a gum nut. M. What the What's heck is a gum, gum nut? nut? <laughs> it's, 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 it's some some kind of feels like it could go in multiple directions. That's all. It's the it's the hard woody fruit of trees of the genus eucalyptus oh uh there's something called a snuggle pot and a cuddle pie oh uh they're the gum nut babies of author may gibbs oh uh so grand i'm gonna yeah. look up snuggle pot now and i bet i'm gonna be delighted i am looking up gum nuts right now and i am already delighted that they are adorable they are i think my favorite hard and woody fruits that i've ever come across yeah they're well just... I'm actually snuggle pot and cuddle pie i have to say I a little bit am freaked out by. I, I thought it was going to be a hundred percent great, and in fact, they they're kind of oh. terrifying. Oh yeah, they don't they don't at least from the book that I'm looking at, they don't really seem to have pupils. They seem to have those dead ghost yeah. eyes. Yeah, their eye their pupils are white, and they apparently they don't seem to be capable of closing their eyes. You know, in the old days, yeah, 
children's you could get away with anything. <laughs> children's entertainment was just sort of naturally horrifying. The presumption yeah. was children know the secrets, but we can't tell them the secrets. They just have to sit there with the deep knowledge of them. And <laughs> and that led to all kinds of weird stories. Like you go back and you read those Hans Christian Andersen stories and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, yikes. Yeah. Yikes, we're yeah, really telling Orin, children Orin the secrets. That stuff and he's like, he's like, I, I don't want to read that. I don't know. Don't do that. These gumnut <laughs> babies look to me, well, they have this like perpetual surprise in their faces. Yeah. This, and it's sort of a horrified surprise. It's sort of like you told yeah. them, like they just found out that the, not only is human life temporary, but the, but Earth and our solar system right. are also temporary. And they're like, That's oh, the look. oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, and you're like, like anyway, they, baby, have a good evening. <laughs> eventually, there will be like there will be like an even temperature throughout the entire universe, and and <laughs> nothing will ever change again. We call you know, it no forward and no backward. We call we, it heat death. We call it heat death because um, it's like the final death. <laughs> That's after the exact all the, face after all That's the, the other deaths happen. It's yeah. the last one. The last so, death. Yeah. We so should anyway, probably call it that, actually. It's a ways <laughs> off, Gumnut Babies. But, uh-huh. you know. But the, but eventually there will be no one left to remember that you existed. The good news is, by the time the heat death of the universe comes, Gumnut Babies will be long gone. <laughs> You've got nothing to worry about yourselves, unless <laughs> you were hoping for there to be some vestige of you in the future, yeah. which there yeah. won't be. Thank you for coming to our party. Anyway, I'd, I'm hoping it's not Snugglepot that you're getting to tattoo of. And it's I'm kind of hoping it is Snugglepot. Either way, either way. It's, yeah. it's, I'm, 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 I think actually it's grand and I want to see a picture. Hank, I'm I think that, I'm a, Hank, no, no, yeah. no, don't, don't answer okay. the question because I know you all got right. a tattoo. You didn't tell me that you got a tattoo. I had to discover it for myself, which yeah. was a little bit disappointing. Well, I wasn't sure what the etiquette was. I I think that this is actually a great question. It's from Hank who asks, how, like, when you're, like, middle-aged, what's the, or anytime, what's the tattoo-telling etiquette? Do you, like, say, hey, mom, just so you know, I'm at the tattoo parlor and I'm going to permanently, no? No, but here's when you could have mentioned it, is when I said, hey, how'd your trip with your buddies to Florida go? And you said, good. You could have been like, good, I got a tattoo. But <laughs> no, you didn't. You I, just I did, said, good. What I said, I, yeah. I told you that I had a really good, I did tell you I had a great time. It was very relaxing. We had a wonderful time. But I I, I, I maybe was like, and we all went and got matching tattoos. I think that, that would, would have been, been cool. the time to yeah, mention that, that you got time. a matching tattoo. But I also think it's yeah. fine for me to just find out by looking at your arm. I think that's fine. It was a great TikTok. I think that we should say where we think this tattoo should go on three. Okay. Okay. One, mm-hmm. two, three, Wrist. forehead. What did you say? Yours is probably better. Do you say forearm? Forehead. (laughs) I just think it'd be so funny to have these snuggle bunnies right there, like almost as a third eye. I'm all about, like, I think tattoos on arms are great because they're easy to to show off. Uh, Right. And I just like an arm with some tattoos on it. I I love an arm with some tattoos. It just looks real good. I all I mean I like I I like upper arm I like back mm-hmm. I love a I like back 
Yeah. But I also think that this is a decision about your body. It's true that, that Hank you should and John not leave up should to not us. make for you. Like uh-huh. I think that I think that you should think about your particular body and your particular relationship with it where you would like seeing the tattoo mm-hmm. because you will be the main person who sees it or where you would like to feel its existence if that's For sure. what it is and then go from there. My mind feels very lonely. I have this I have this one tattoo on Do, my Are you going to get another one like now? It, it feels like it needs friends. Are you um, thinking about getting another one? It's I I feel like uh I've got ideas, but I I just want to let it let things happen, you know? Yeah. No, I think that's great. I support you 100% unless you want to get one of these snuggle bunny tattoos. That would worry <laughs> me a little bit. <laughs> I thought they were going to be so cute. <laughs> Their names were very cute. Oh, anyway, that reminds me that today's podcast is brought to you by Snuggle Bunnies. Snuggle Bunnies, they celebrating their centenary uh, really? in 2019, wow. according to this website I just found. This podcast is also brought to you by magnets. Magnets, either created by humans or by the earth. That's all the magnets. <laughs> and today's podcast is brought to you by cold, rainy, and dark mornings. They're not fun for mammals, and you're a mammal. And this podcast is brought to you by Octopus Twitter. Octopus Twitter shut down over 200 million years ago. Over the loud complaints of the world's largest octopus who was like, hey, if you delete Octopus <laughs> Twitter, it's That's going so to- so much value for me. It's, you're going to be removing so much value from my gigantic octopus life. <laughs> <laughs> but all of your descendants were much, much happier. We also have a Project for Awesome message from Emma in Jacksonville to Rachel. Dear Rachel, congrats on graduating from law school. You are a brilliant and kind friend and the world is better for you being here. I cannot wait to visit you and I apologize for not getting you an actual card, but I figured this would make up for it. I'm looking forward to fighting the meese with you for many years to come. The correct plural of moose is meese, according why, to this Project for fi- Why message. are they fighting mooses? Who why knows? Why are they doing that? Well, I think they're fighting moose, to be fair, which is the plural of moose. <laughs> nope, they're fighting meese. <laughs> This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly ship to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Trobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different. 
and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order, plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets... Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blueland products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blueland is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blueland has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. All right, Hank. So my computer stopped recording and therefore you missed some gold, people of the Internet. (laughs) I was really hard on Hank. We got half of it. We got my part. I was really hard on Hank for recently losing some gold and then I just lost some solid gold. It was we had some high quality gold, but instead we're going to do the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon so I can go pick up my children from school. I'll start. The news from AFC Wimbledon is that we still have not lost a game since I visited. I don't know if it's about me, but we haven't lost a game. That said, we did tie 1-1 in the FA Cup, which you'll recall, Hank, is a cup competition. It's a knockout competition. It's separate from the league campaign. We played Weymouth, who ply their trade way down in the sixth tier of English football. And we tied them, which means we have to play them again in a week. And, I mean, it was not a great tie for us. They had more shots than we did, more possessions, more corner kicks. In almost every way, they were the better team. And that's not good because they're in the sixth tier of English football and we should be comfortably outplaying them. So it's a little alarming as ties go, Mm. but Mm -hmm. it is still a continuation of the undefeated since John watched us lose streak. (laughs) This week in Mars news, uh, Mars's crust might be a little more complex than we thought. We used to think that Mars's crust was like a, just a uniform basalt. So that's like a igneous rock that was part of an ocean of magma that coated the planet until it all cooled down into the crust. 
Uh, but researchers studying data from the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter have found that the crust in the southern hemisphere of Mars has feldspar, which is usually found in silica-rich lava as opposed to basaltic flows. And that means that the crust might not have been formed by the cooling of one giant ocean of magma. Instead, it might have formed in multiple different phases, but it's going to take a lot more work to figure out what exactly is going on with Mars's crust. Also, the InSight lander, I think, probably just sent us its last photo. Uh, it's 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 ending up. It's a beautiful little photo, and you can go look at it by searching for a last InSight lander photo, uh, because uh, it's do it did its thing and didn't didn't get a, what a lot of Mars missions get, which is way longer life than they're planned for, but uh, did did do a lot of its work. Well, Godspeed to a real one. That's right. That's right. John, thank you for making a podcast with me. Uh, and thank you to everybody for sending your questions to hankandjohn at gmail.com. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas. Our communications coordinator is Brooke Shotwell. Our editorial assistant is Debuki Chakravarti. The music you're hearing now is by the Greek Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be awesome. awesome.